Well, guys, welcome to the fifth episode of the League Express podcast. Uh, my name is Jake Keenan, and joining me as always is the League Express editor, Martin Sadler. And Martin, we have a special guest here today. Would you like to introduce him? Yes, welcome Richard Delariviere. Richard's a, a writer with League Express, and each week writes the Rugby League Heroes column, which is um, a series of interviews with great players who have... Uh, in the most part retired uh, now, but but tell their individual stories of their careers in in, in rugby league, and it's a very popular p- part of the uh, part of the newspaper. And um, uh, as a result of that, Richard's written a new book, which we're going to publish. It's out on September the first, called Fifty Wigan Legends in Their Own Words. So fifty players uh, who have um, graced the Wigan club. Um, and Richard, you're going to be selling that book, I think, on the September the 1st at uh, before Wigan's match against Salford at um, the DW Stadium. It's uh, It's been a great book to write and um, I think it'll be an even greater book to read for people who, who are lucky enough to buy it. Uh, yeah, thanks, Martin. So um, Wigan have invited me down. Wigan have been great with this book, actually. They, they put me in touch with a fellow called Keith Such, who runs their Past Players Association, and he gave me numbers for all sorts of players from the 60s and the 70s and one or two more modern ones. Um, the media department set me up with guys like Liam Farrell, Sean O'Loughlin, Tommy Lulaway, uh, Sean Wayne, uh, and, and the club shop have uh, invited me down. So I'll be there for a couple of hours before kickoff on the, um, on the Friday before they play Salford. Um, you know, with with copies of the book, and if people actually want my signature in it for some reason, then then they can. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there'll be so, cues uh, out the door. Absolutely, imagine, absolutely, mate. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so you, you you mentioned the, the rugby league heroes thing. So, so some of these, about a third of these interviews in the book, about uh, roughly a third of the fifty, the interviews have already been in League Express. So like Green Vigo, Colin Clark, Phil Clark. Uh, Bill Ashurst, obviously, who's now passed away, but I interviewed him uh, two or three years ago. Brilliant interview. Told me about his mum chasing him around the house with a poker when he said uh, that he got engaged and got, <laughs> got his girlfriend pregnant. <laughs> so, uh, so Bill Ashurst, obviously, one, one, of, one of the great characters. Yes. Um, and then about a third of them are previous interviews that I've updated. So, for example, one interview goes back to 2005, and that was one of the first I ever did. That was with Terry Newton, and I updated it by phoning Phil Wilkinson, his biographer, who told me all sorts about Terry and what he was like to work with. And then obviously I've I've, I've extended the piece into talking about what happened to Terry, um, which obviously was a, was a terrible story. Um, and, and, and Phil talks about that as well. So I, I obviously hope I've done Terry justice there. Um, and, and obviously the easiest way to, to, to update the other ones I've updated is simply by phoning the, the player back and, and asking them a lot more questions. And then about a third of them, and these tend to be the longer interviews, are, are brand new ones. So I've managed to get hold of people like Joe Lydon, Nicky Kiss, Kelvin Skerritt. Um, I've got some absolutely brilliant interviews that have never been published before. Joe Lydon's, yes, is uh, one of the first ones in the book, isn't it? It's the first uh, one in the book, actually. Outstanding, yeah, outstanding uh, interview. The, the interview with Joe. I mean, you could, it ticks every box because Joe was a wonderful player, world class, with a really high profile at a time when yeah. you know, we had a, games on the BBC all the time and Joe, Joe was just a wonderful player, but he told me so many funny stories. And The, the thing that's so apparent, you know, Richard, from reading, I've only read part of it so far, but... But the thing that's so apparent is what a great sense of humour a lot of rugby league players have. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're a fund of amusing stories, aren't they? Of and the, I, think, yeah. I think if you're, you know, if you're buying this book, you want to sit down yeah. and 
Be prepared to laugh out loud, because you will do. Joe told me some hilarious stories. I, I, I met Joe in his office, and I can still see him now demonstrating this hilarious story that involved Andy Gregory, Jed Byrne, and a sand bucket. And he's demonstrating Jed carrying this bucket, which had secretly been filled with bricks and water, <laughs> onto the field for, for Andy and Joe. And then them saying, oh, we've changed our mind. We're not kicking for goal now. I, I, won't, I won't give too many of the stories away. <laughs> I, I, I won't do that. But Joe told me some absolute corkers. And other, I mean, Terry O'Connor told me some very funny stories. So did Martin Hall. And um, I reckon there are about half a dozen at least. Kelvin Skerritt, some, some brilliant stories. Nicky Kiss. I mean, I, I, again, I won't give too much away, but I mean, Nicky Kiss tells a story of sitting on the toilet at Central Park and shouting, can someone send me a pen? And someone puts a pen under the door and he writes on a bit of toilet roll, I, Nicky Kiss, want to transfer, signs it, dates it, takes it to the chairman, hands it over and he says Nicky what's all this about why do you want to transfer and he just says because of him and he pointed at Alex Murphy who was just sitting there <laughs> staring at the ground and Kiss just delivered this monologue about yeah. how he hated Murphy and walked out of the club and then a few months later Murphy gets the sack and, and Nicky Kiss comes back it's actually pronounced Kish by the way it's, uh, obviously it right? he's um Hungarian. Uh, Hungarian. So, yeah. so yeah, I never thought I'd write about the Hungarian revolution of 1956 but Nicky's mum and dad came over as refugees separately to Manchester and they met each other, right. got together and they moved to Oldham where Nicky took up rugby league with Saddleworth and then mm. he signed for Wigan. So incredible how, how yeah. some people become rugby league players. But Nicky is. Nicky is just one of, one of the one of the great, great story and I, I, I loved speaking to him. Before we um, sort of get into it a little bit more, we will remind our listeners and viewers that if you do want a copy of this book, uh, you can go onto the Total RL website. So that's www.totalrl.com forward slash shop, or you can call 01484. 401895 that's 01484 to secure your copy um now you mentioned you're going to be doing a bit of a meet and greet in a couple of weeks time will that be on september 1st yeah so day? september the 1st at wigan that's right before their game against salford mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah so we're looking forward to that yeah perfect and when did this idea um you know spring to mind when when did you start getting the wheels in motion for this book well as i said i mean i wrote the first one in 2005 but it about maybe three years ago, something like that, just out of interest, I thought, I wonder how many Wigan legends I've interviewed and how many Leeds legends and how many Saints legends. And I, I was well into the 30s for both clubs. And then as you start playing around thinking, well, if I get hold of him, get hold of him, and then I'll have an absolutely excellent book. So maybe further down the line, I'll produce the same book for Leeds and St. Helens. But it just so happened that Wigan, it, that it's Wigan first. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's interviews in there that, will have been read by a reasonable number of people at the time that I just want to, to get out there again. For example, in 2008, I got to sit down one-on-one for one hour with Ellery Hanley. And I don't know how much you know about him, but that's very rare because he didn't speak to journalists when he played. No. I'm sure. One of his best quotes is about journalists, yeah, isn't it? I, yeah, I remember you picked that out at the time as the yeah. League Express quote of the week. Yeah. I, I said to Ellery in this interview, I, I knew I was probably skating on thin ice, but I said, so why didn't you talk to journalists? And he just, just looked at me very calmly and he just said, but I, I just think that you journalists don't know what you're talking about. You've never crossed the white line. Mm. How can you possibly? Is any member of the public can do that? I've just got no respect whatsoever for your views, and I'm sitting as close to him as, as I am to you now, sort of you know trying to think. Well, I hope I get through this interview. But I, rem- I remember thinking before I went in, if I change the subject to him playing for Balmain Tigers in '88, that'll put a smile on his face. And I had to use that card very, very quickly, yeah. m- much quicker than I anticipated. But it was a brilliant interview, and he was on great form. And I, I, I got in because he got the Doncaster job. 
and obviously he was there was going to be an obligation on him to do some media so I made the request and I got it and um he, he answered everything and I got an hour with him and mm. it was uh, a brilliant interview. There was a, a, a writer a few years ago wrote a book on Wigan winning eight in a row, the eight Challenge Cups in a row, and he, he rang me up and he said, I've just found your Ellery Hanley interview. Do you mind if I quote from it? Because I've never seen an Ellery Hanley interview before. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's pretty unique. So I'm very proud of it. I've updated it with all his career details. So it makes for a pretty solid biography of, of what he achieved. And I'm, as, as I've written in it, I think he may well be the greatest British rugby league player of all time. Mm. Martin will tell me it's Neil Fox. Um, somebody might say it's Alex Murphy, but I think there's, I think there's a big four or five, and I think Ellery's in it. And I, I would yes. argue that Ellery played in an era where the Aussies were a lot better than us, and he didn't just go toe-to-toe with them. He was at times better than those guys, mm. particularly in 88 when he went to play for Balmain and he yeah. single-handedly took them to the grand final. I think there were long periods of time when Ellery was probably the best player in the world. Um, you know, he might have won one golden boot, but so I'm dedicated, wasn't he? Three, four month periods, and he stood out in in a way. I don't think it's possible for players now to stand out so much more above everybody else in certain ways. But Ellery, Ellery was athletic in a way that other players weren't, and and lifting weights and doing stuff with medicine balls and professional in a way that just other people weren't. He wasn't drinking when others were, so he just stood out. Mm-hmm. But he he stood out above Australians and Kiwis who are just generational greats. I mean, there was a big four or five in the mid to late 80s, wasn't there, in the world of sort of you know, Lewis, Kenny, Sterling, Meninga, and Hanley was in that. Mm-hmm. And I think Hanley was, was towards the top of that or at the top of that for, for mm-hmm. longer periods than, than you'd think. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could happily argue that he's, he's the greatest British rugby league player of all time. If you can cast your mind back to that moment where you're sitting in the room with him, how intimidating was it when he opened with that? And, and how did you respond? Um, I, d- I didn't go completely to pieces. I think you've got to be able to hold your own. You know. And I think, you, know. you did tell him that you, uh, you, you had played with um, Haysham Atoms, didn't you? Well, I haven't rugby. actually played with, with, well, with I thought Haysham Atoms. No, well, no, no, was no, it? I've, I've played about five games of rugby league in my life. I played, played a little bit at university. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I didn't tell him that, and I'm not sure it would cut any ice no, with, no. Uh, <laughs> with Ellery. But um, no. yeah, I mean, you also have to think, compared to now, the profile that he had... I mean, he went on Wogan and he was signed by an American football club called the London Monarchs. He mm. never played for them, but they did it as a publicity stunt to launch mm, themselves. They did. And it caused quite some consternation in rugby league because he was suddenly out there on Wogan. That's why he went on Wogan to talk about American football. Mm. And people thought, well, why don't he do that at rugby league? And look, it wasn't ideal that he wouldn't talk about rugby league, but because he was the only one doing it, it, it sort of added to his... Mystique. Yeah, I was going to say no doubt. Band, but mystique mm. is a much better word. It did. It, it added to. It wouldn't be ideal if Moore did it, but it just added to who he, mm. who he was, and what a player. And and that's really interesting. You say that because, you know, we always tend to say rugby league is a great game because the players are so approachable compared to soccer, for example. But actually, when a player isn't approachable, as as, as Ellery wasn't for for a mm. long time, particularly mm. by the media, it's actually. Adds something rather than take something away, doesn't it? In, or it did in his case. I think it did. With as long as as long yeah. as it goes with brilliant talent. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, if an ordinary you know kid who's a reserve grader somewhere tried mm. to do that, it it wouldn't count. But 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 when you're such a great player, um, there's a sense in which fans like players to be a bit distant from them, really. Yeah, this, the strange thing is, it didn't. As I say, it didn't harm him, and he, even now, no. because the game's profile has sunk so much, 
in the modern era, him and Martin Afire probably have a bigger profile yeah. than, than, than players of the last 25 years. And that, that, in a way, that's sad, but it shows that him and his approach didn't, didn't do him any harm. And then by, by extension, people would have been coming to Wigan or Leeds or whoever to watch him play. Mm. It didn't, I don't think it did harm. The, well, but on the other hand, I wasn't a journalist in the 1980s desperately trying to get an Ellery Hanley interview. <laughs> I, I, I stumbled across him once and managed to get very lucky and the interviews in the book. Mm. It makes you wonder, you know, now that times have changed and we have the new age of social media, how, a, you know, a Hanley would go in today's day and age with all the cameras on our smartphones and people coming up for, for comment everywhere. Yeah, he's, so. he's obviously not on social media. I, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I, I don't think he was particularly keen on selfies and well selfies didn't exist then but on you know signing things of, I think he no. was like, I think he was just like that it wasn't just with journalists I, th- I think with fans I mean you know Gary Schofield claims to have never turned down a, an autograph request but um, not all players were like that I think no I mean I still see Ellery occasionally because his his lawyer is um, uh, somebody who I know quite well in, uh, in, in in Leeds and I've occasionally attended seminars that Ellery's been present at too and he's a great guy, you know. Is you you couldn't be a nicer guy, as far as I'm concerned. Always speaks, always very pleasant, always, um, you know, listens to what you say. And um, and I remember at one time he he complimented me. This was many years ago, by saying that my column in League Express was the one column he always read. Um, and he'd no reason to say that, frankly, but... Uh, we'll, we'll get that on your headstone. Yeah, well, there's no, yeah. no big... I don't know whether he'd still read it now. Probably not. <laughs> who, know, who, who knows? Um, but, but, you know, I was sort of walking on air for a while after that. The thing is, he's actually one of the big losses to, to rugby league coaching yeah. because he, he in his first season as a head coach at St. Helens, he won the Super League title and they'd been miles off the pace in 98 mm. and they, they, they won it. And that, that grand final against Bradford in 99, that was state of origin intensity. It was an incredible game. And he got them up to that level. But within three months, he was out the door and he's never coached in Super League since. I'll tell you a little story about that grand final as well, which you might find quite interesting, Richard. The... Um Prior to, if, if, if you remember, um, in the lead-up to the grand final, in one of the preceding playoff games, Bradford had beaten yeah. St. Helens 42-6. They'd, beat, they'd beaten them very easily. And they were up against them in the final, in the grand final. And I wrote in League Express, you know, the, 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 the Bradford team are going to be coming in into this game with enormous confidence because they all think the mm. St. Helens pack is a bit soft. Um, and... Ellery read that and put that article up on the, in the St. Helens dressing room and said, you know, to the players, this guy thinks you're, you're all soft, basically. Mm. <laughs> Are you going to show us what you really like? And, and in, 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 in the press conference after that grand final, when they'd beaten Bradford, he actually pointed to me and Chris joined. It's funny because Ellery sort of looked at me and said, you know, your article helped us win. And Chris Joint, who was the captain, looked at me and actually was very angry about what I'd written, you know. Right, and, right, well, but it did motivate brilliant. them to beat Bradford. So, you know, my response was, you know, I ought to be in commission for having written that, really. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you weren't invited to the post-match celebrations, <laughs> mate? Yeah. But, oh, it's fantastic. But what a shame Ellery hasn't carried on coaching. Oh, Just, great shame. Yeah. You know. But going back to the media thing, I do, I do wonder, his, his sort of inability to deal with the media, I think, cost him. Potentially cost him because it was a problem. He, he couldn't. He couldn't do it, could he? No, but the thing he is, couldn't. in two thousand, um, I mean, he, he won the grand final in nineteen ninety nine, lost the um, World Club Challenge to Melbourne Storm in two thousand, which was played at Wigan. Yeah, 
And then a few weeks after that, he actually uh, got in touch with us and, and he was very angry uh, about the St. Helens directors at the time. There was something they were doing, he felt that they weren't supporting him and he, he wanted to make a stand and he actually got in touch and said, and gave a statement yeah. and said, you know, th- th- this is just not good enough. Just to correct you slightly, he, he did that the season before, halfway through, and they suspended him for it. Mm. And then he came back. They, they then embarked on an incredible run-in. Mm. And he came back for a game against Leeds. And then this was the following season. They lost yeah. the first three, including to Melbourne. And then I think the directors hadn't quite forgiven him. For no, that. no, maybe not. Well, maybe then, I'm getting then, the time, they're, 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 the time scale wrong. I think, I think they then found some other reasons to sack him. But yeah. four games ago, he'd won the Super League Grand yeah, Final amazing. Trophy. And it's amazing. Just, maybe if he'd got the Wigan job with Morris there, it could have been different. Maybe Who Morris knows? would have known how to handle him. So yeah. to speak, but um, anyway, we shouldn't just talk about no, Elric. No, there are lots. Of, there are forty-nine other players yeah, in the right. book, and uh, you sent me through a few copies over uh, email, Richard. Um, Bill Ashurst. What can you tell me about him? Well, Bill Ashurst, I think, was named an all-time Penrith Panthers team. Yeah. Just one of the great, and I think if you named an all-time Wigan team, I think he'd be in that as well. Mm. He was just a phenomenal player. Um, and man of the match by some distance in the 1971 championship final, which Wigan fans haven't forgotten because they were winning, and St. Helens scored two tries right at the end, one of which was a complete fluke that was, by all accounts, a long way offside, a drop goal from the touchline, which which went nowhere near. And um, Billy Benyon, who I recently interviewed in the Rugby League Heroes section, managed to get there first and, and score a try. But Bill Asher's that day, by all accounts, was was absolutely fantastic. A real character. Again, a brilliant story, this. Bill ended up coaching... Well, he finished at Wakefield, didn't he, Martin? So he did, you're, yes. You're, you're, yeah, Wake, Played Wake, in the Wake, 1979 Wake. Challenge, yeah. the final. Uh, so his, his last game in rugby league for Wakefield was, was, was about 83, 84. And then he coached Runcorn, and they got drawn against Wigan. This is one of my favourite ever stories. They got drawn against Wigan in a Regal Trophy match, possibly a Lancashire Cup match. And the, the Runcorn players all said, well, we want more money because you're going to be getting 50% of the gate. We all want more money. And the club said, no, we're not going to give you more money. So the entire Runcorn team went on strike. So they had to go and sign basically a whole amateur team from Widnes to come in and play the game. And Bill Asher, not having played for five years, puts himself on the bench. He then comes on and uh, after a few minutes, he headbutts Andy Goodway and gets sent <laughs> off. And Runcorn lose 92-2. Yeah. And this is my favourite ever story. So, of course, I ask about that in the book. And he's a, he, he became a born-again Christian. And he said, look, I'm so sorry. I did things like that. And I, I you know, hit people. I think he broke someone's jaw. And he said, I, I'm so sorry that I, I ever did things like that. But that, that Runcorn story... Um, were absolutely fantastic and John they, when I said that the, all the first team had stood down John Cogger was the only one who couldn't the great Australian John Cogger you might be familiar with um, his nephews in the NRL now well he had to play because he was contracted and they said we'll tear your visa up and you have to go back home if you don't play so yeah. all the other Uncorn players were on strike were still behind the post shouting scab scab at John oh, Cogger because no. every, every, every 60 seconds they were behind the post <laughs> for another another Wigan conver- yeah. that Wigan Runcorn game throws up two of my favourite ever stories and that's, yeah. that's both of them but Bill Ashurst yeah. that's um, that's genuine I mean he went to, he went to Penrith with Steve-O mm. and by all accounts they didn't get on but I've seen suggestions that they were a bit closer than than that you know mm. um, I think I read was it something to do with them playing uh, on, on the media as well like they sort of misled the media a little bit to I think so I think so well I think Steve always yeah. used to accuse Bill of not taking training very seriously right and Bill's response yeah. was well what does that matter if I create three tries every week yeah which he yeah. did do but he, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he so, was the sort of forward that we don't see now with the, yeah. with the sort of hands 
and and a great boot. I yeah, mean, when yeah, he played yeah. for Wakefield, yeah. Yeah. he was he was he was playing on one leg really, mm. but his 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 ability to kick a ball was yeah. incredible. But he he played in he played in a, in a relatively unhappy era for Wigan because of course in the seventies they'd fallen away from the great team in the sixties, and it was far too early for the the glory years of the the mid eighties onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I managed to get quite a few from the seventies actually. Wigan had some very charismatic guys with amazing stories. I I, I got one with John Gray who went to the top in three different sports. He started off as a county cricketer with Warwickshire, bowled out the England captain, I think, he, on, on his debut. And then he switched to rugby union, played twice for England. And then he switched to rugby league for Wigan, played for Great Britain within six months, and then went to Australia. And I think he was also named in the North Sydney Bears, all-time 17. And John Gray's story are just absolutely fantastic. And they also had Green Vigo, one of my favourite yeah, interviews. Yeah, in touch with Green Vigo, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, well, about five people were working on Green for about a year and eventually persuaded. Um, I was a little bit embarrassed because I was thinking, the poor guy doesn't want to do an interview. But John just sort of kept and kept trying and kept trying. I'll tell you something, Richard, it would be great to see Green Vigo at Wigan again. I, it, you know, I wonder if we could persuade him to come and join you on yeah, perhaps. September the 1st. Because, yeah. I mean, he was a hero. I mean, he, you know, it was mm. a, I mean, Green Vigo's interview is... Absolutely fascinating because it's a, a black South African player who played at the time of apartheid in South Africa. And I think it's really quite moving, his story, isn't it? Oh, very much so. I mean, mm. he talks about Bill Ashurst. He, he, he talked about Bill as though he was talking to Bill, saying, I love you, Bill. I miss you, Bill. I'm so sorry I didn't go to your funeral, that sort of thing, you know. And Green led an extraordinary life and um, was very good friends with John Gray because they, they signed at the same time and, and they said, you know, they'd go to the pub and Green wouldn't go in. He'd just say, oh, just bring me a beer out because black men weren't allowed to go into the pub in, in apartheid South Africa. And it took him a long time to, to, to sort of transition. But whilst Wigan brought John Gray, a, well, gave John Gray a lovely house, Green was just in digs, mm-hmm. you know. But again, a really funny story about how he walked in and turned Tommy Cooper off the television and his landlady shouted at him, you know, you don't turn Tommy Cooper off the television. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural differences here. Yeah. Well, just off the charts. Mm-hmm. But what, yeah, but like I say, what, what a brilliant winger. There, there was a game when they went to Leeds and he was up against John Atkinson and he scored a hat-trick and I think that was one of the reasons why John ended up retiring. And of course, John Atkinson is one of the, one of the greatest oh, yeah. wingers that, that's ever lived. Yeah. And Green one day scored seven against St. Helens. But again, like like all the guys in the 70s, he played in an era where things things started to go wrong for the club. Mm. I can only imagine some of the backstories you would have heard that you know, we, we see these footballers week in and week out on the field and on TV and you think that's who they are, but I guess it would have been a real treat being able to hear some of the personal stories with some of the players you interviewed for this book. Well, that's it. You know, it's, it's very rare with when you interview rugby league players. Well, past rugby league players, the walls come down when they're past players, which is why I prefer interviewing past players. Um, but it's very rare that I ask something and there's a bit of awkwardness because they don't want to talk about it. So, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they, they generally will talk about it. And some people will, will sort of offer you an insight that you're not really expecting, you know, and, and, and will go into depth that you're not really expecting. And I, and I love it. I'll happily just, you know, whatever they say, even if, it, even if the subject goes away from, from rugby league for a few minutes, just talking about personal issues, then, then fine. Um, yeah, but the, the people people who I interview tend to be just 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 so open because I, I think a lot of these guys have never really had much media attention. Probably didn't at the time anyway. Maybe you know the captain or the star player would have done, but rugby league being a much smaller sport, maybe not too much. And then since they finished playing, they've probably never really had interview requests. Mm. I, get I, th- I think the thing probably is that you know a lot of players like to think that they've not been forgotten. Yeah, and you know yeah, you, you you coming on the phone to them and so on and. 
and either meeting them or mm. whatever, it, it's it's a sign that they've not been. And uh, I think that's that's really great. Is there any player that you've gone into the interview thinking, all right, this is how it's going to go, I know a little bit about their story, and then they've just completely shocked you with what they've had to tell you about their life story? Well, um, to a degree, Sam Tompkins shocked me by being such a good interviewee because what I just said about current players not being so good, Tompkins was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and just told me some hilarious stories and, and was so easy to talk to and he was so calm and relaxed, just an absolute natural. And I, as a, you know, I, I only really interview past players. I don't have a Super League press pass. I don't meet these guys. I don't see them in the mix zone. And I just sort of had this idea that he's someone who's probably badgered by the media and won't say too much, and he could not have been any, any different to that. Um, so he'd, he'd be the best example of, of an interview that went totally different to what I thought it would be, and in, in, in a really good way. Mm. Well, just reading the passage you sent me uh, on Sam Tompkins, I didn't know sort of the not the struggle, but how long it took him to get that chance uh, to make his debut at the professional level. It's a great story, isn't it? Because mm. I, I've been guilty of watching academy games in the past where I've really thought that guy's going to go on and be the next Lee Crooks, or that guy's going to be the next Martin Afire, and then they never play for the first team it's partly because they don't get an opportunity so Sam Tompkins had to wait for Tim Smith to break his arm Tim <coughs> Smith being the ex-Paramatta standoff but even in the academy Sean Wayne did, didn't trust him didn't think he was big enough so he was a substitute in an academy grand final no semi-final and a brawl broke out and Wigan had won this game and then half their team got suspended. So he said he's standing there as a substitute, really chuffed that this brawl's happening because it means there's going to be suspension. <laughs> he's going to play. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also said how he, how he just spent an off-season going back to the amateur game and he just sort of needed that as well. Yeah. But it, I, I occasionally do wonder how many kids, if something very slightly different happens, could just make it as an absolute star, but they just don't quite get one break. And I think Tompkins is absolute proof of that. Mm. Um I, I also loved his opinions on Wayne Bennett. I'm not sure if they've been made public, but he just said it was a really poor appointment and Bennett never tried to really integrate himself into it and he'd be on a on a big screen from 12,000 miles away. The internet would trip out. He said it was just rubbish. He said it, just, it was just a poor appointment. And, and that sort of honesty... He, when you interview current players, it's it's harder to get it's hard to get that sort of stuff out. Of it's very interesting that, isn't it? The, the, the Wayne Bennett situation with, uh, with, with England bec- and, and Great Britain because... Uh, Kevin Sinfield was the bloke who I think was mm. was the primary mover in getting Wayne appointed. And when Wayne's services were no longer required, I think Kevin um, walked away really yeah, from right. the game. Right. He was very disappointed yeah. by that, and it's probably why he ended up in rugby union now. Yeah. You know, going to a, a rugby union World Cup. But it sort of shows a mm. diametrical opposite, doesn't it, between yeah. him and Sam Tompkins? Well, J.B. Peacock in, in League Express during the World Cup was writing a column, wasn't he? And he was, he was adamant that, that Bennett was, you know, that, that Sean Wayne hadn't lived up to Wayne Bennett because Wayne didn't get to the final and Bennett did. Mm. Um, but on, on the subject of, yeah, Sean Wayne, that was another great interview. So, I mean, his, his life story is incredible. I didn't get this as an exclusive because he's told this story before. He was often abused, really, by his dad in a sort of a disciplinary way, beaten and and such like. And he, he, he talks a bit more about that and... He just has an incredible life story, and and his journey to becoming a coach again. How how many people are lost to the game? I mean, Sean, Sean was working as a tarmacker, and he'd spend his lunchtime preparing rugby league videos for for training sessions on his laptop as a, as a tarmacker earning a hundred quid a day. 
And he just w- went up the um, ladder at Wigan quite slowly, but over a period of 10, 15 years, and then becomes an assistant coach. And I remember when Michael Maguire left, Ian Lennigan made him sweat. There was a long wait before Wayne was appointed, and it made you think, is Lennigan looking elsewhere? Does he want another mm. Aussie? And eventually Wayne got the job, and he's one of my favourite coaches. I love this. There's a story again of he used to make his academy players turn up with a file of facts for no reason. There was nothing in them. But his, his thinking was, if you can't remember to bring your file of facts, you don't have what it takes. Mm. And this poor kid kept forgetting his file of facts, so he just chucked him out. It wasn't Sam Tompkins, was it? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no. but, yeah, but, but Sean, I, 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 I love speaking to Sean and just about, you know, culture is a very overused word and it, it, it's used by cult coaches sometimes. And I don't really think they know what it means, but Sean clearly does. Mm. And he talks about what he wants from his players. And it's a, Sean, Sean's interview in this book is a really interesting insight into that. And so is Sean Edwards, actually. That, that's, a, that's another. I love speaking to Sean Edwards because you feel like you're learning with every answer. If you, have you picked that up from oh yes yeah martin you do you just feel privileged to talk to him because you feel like you're learning and um interviewing sean was great it's a very big interview with sean edwards i've sort of merged two old interviews together i'll tell you a little Um, story about sean because um back in the early 1980s uh, i was involved with uh, peter deakin the great peter deakin who's not been with us sadly for many many years now but um we set up an organisation that was called Buscala. The acronym was Buscala, British Upper Schools and Colleges Amateur Rugby League Association. And basically, it was an organisation that promoted rugby league in sixth form colleges and, and sixth forms of, of, of schools because it was a gap between the English schools rugby league and university rugby league. So um, to cut a long story short, um, Sean was 16 at the time and was a pupil at St John Rugby college in Wigan and we selected a team to tour Australia and Sean was one of the players selected Um, but the problem was when he got to Australia the first thing he did was injure his knee and couldn't play any games Um, so what then happened was that you know all the lads who were fit were playing these games and between between games or going to Bondi Beach or wherever it might be to you know, on nights out or days out or whatever. They were all obviously determined to have a great time as kids would. But Sean, uh, instead of doing any of that, he spent every day going to a different um, rugby league club in Sydney to watch them training. And he took his notebook with him and just took notes on uh, each club that he that's, went that's to. That's amazing, isn't it, for a 16-year-old? 16-year-old, He, yeah, he yeah. also played He played England Schools Rugby League and Rugby Union simultaneously. I saw him play... It's astonishing, isn't it? I saw him play Rugby Union for Lancashire Schools against Yorkshire in Wakefield mm. when he was 16, you know. And the story at that time was that he'd never played a game of Rugby Union before and yet they made him the captain of Lancashire Schools. Mm. And he led, the, he led them out. And he led them out with that incredible frown on his face you know when oh, the, the, he when he yeah. was concentrating he yeah. had that amazing yeah. frown the, and he, he led yeah. them out and led them led them to victory against um well i think he captained, I think he captained the england team as well and he yeah. said he played in the centers of richard gunn who was another yeah richard gunn was playing player. for yorkshire that day as well but in terms of sean leading <coughs> his teams onto the field when he when he well he actually got sent off in this game at wembley of course against the aussies so it might not be the best example but the look on his face when he takes great britain out Mm. Absolutely, just amazing. Yes, he's just seen someone angry and focused in one. Just mm. yeah, what what a, what a leader, what a what a captain <coughs> as well. But of course, not too popular at Wigan anymore because of no. no. But I think I think what happened worked out in the 
the best for everybody. I think both parties blamed each other. Yeah. But I think I think it I think it was perhaps a sentimental appointment. What what Richard's talking about there, yeah, Jack, just yeah. in case you don't know, is that Sean was going to become the Wigan coach following Adrian Lamb at, mm. uh, at Wigan, but it fell through at, uh, for some for some reason, mm. and uh, he carried on in rugby union. Which he, is, he, he, uh, I interviewed him at the time, and he, he said he said to us, I said, See, look, everyone's going to ask you this question, but you'll have been out of the game for 20 years, and you never actually coached really in rugby league officially. And he said, yeah, but you, you just get good assistance, Richard, and you can catch up quickly. And I didn't find that a convincing answer, whereas mm. Sean is a convincing guy in every respect, but I wasn't sure that it was going to work, and I think it's probably worked out best for everybody that yeah, he did. Yeah. but I think I think there's a bit of bad blood there with fans and Sean which is a shame given everything that he did for the club he was the ultimate ultimate legend at one club wasn't the he? thing about Sean as well is that you know there's that uh, statue of five players at Wembley and he should have been in it because nobody has won more games at Wembley than he has and Sean not just yeah, for Wigan yeah. but for Great Britain and England and so on and so forth yeah. he's very rarely lost a game they, he lost with London Broncos in 1999, right at the um, the last game he ever well, he played. Lost, at he, he lost in '84, but you're yeah. right. Well, no, '92 yeah. World Cup final. The first game, <laughs> but yeah, the first it, game it, and the last it, game he it, played. He'd won the best part, of, but Andy Gregory would have won a similar number because he won there with Widnes, didn't he? Mm. So I think I think Andy won about eight, mm. uh, but Sean probably more because he'd, he'd mm. won the eight in a row, mm. and then and then at least two with Great Britain. Yeah, yeah. So he'd sort of had ten wins at Wembley off the top of my head. Yeah, mm. that is amazing, but there's so many people who deserve to be on it. Oh, I mean, gosh, Neil yeah, Neil Fox, for example. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, with uh, a lot of your interviews, I sort of uh, look at the book as, I can't imagine there'd be much negative said about, uh, you know, playing uh, for Wigan, but were there any players interviewed who there has been a bit more well, bad blood or a bit of a severed relationship? Yeah, it was, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because there are a few. And I did think to myself, if this was an in-house production from Wigan, they might not have sort of wanted some of this. And they've not actually asked me. So but nothing too bad. But the great Frank Parr, the scrum half in the 60s, talks about how he was essentially forced out. Um, Gemma Walsh, who captained Wigan in the first women's season, she said that the club invested a lot in the women's team in 2018, but it's totally let it slide in 2019. Um, and she was critical of the club for that. Um, so there, there's, there's two examples. There will be more, but off the, off the top of my head, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. But, um, I mean, obviously, N- Nikki Kiss blows the lid on on troubles at the time, but with, with a particular coach, but then obviously Murphy left and all was mm. well again. Steve Hampson was forced out before his testimonial because he had to play 10 years to get testimonial. They forced him out after some like nine years and eight months or something just as his wife had given birth and that led to Salford beating Wigan in the Cup in 96, the first Cup game they'd lost in nine years and Hampson going up to the director's box from the pitch and just shouting up at Jack Robinson and you know just <laughs> incredible scenes that they, they yeah. must have been. Um, so he, he he talks about that. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's bits and pieces. There's always going to be disgruntled players. I mean, Dennis Betts talks about coaching, which you know didn't go great. And of course, they brought Millwood in, which he he, he was upset about in 2004 or five. So yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's there's a reasonable amount of that in there. Mm. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's quite a lengthy list. But are there any uh, players who had you know unfortunately passed? before you were able to get an interview from them that you wish could have been included, but uh, unfortunately due to circumstances? Um, yeah, I think I think if three or four years ago I'd, I'd had the idea of this book and I'd, I'd sort of become very focused on I want to get as many Wigan legends as I can. I'd, I'd have, I think I'd have tried to get Dave Bolton, who went to play for Balmain, man of the match in the 69 grand final. And Dave, I think... 
I think Paul Sirinan, he's friends with Scoey, and I think I could have probably got in touch with him because he used to do the past players. So I, th- I think I could have got Dave Bolton and just, you know, didn't in time. Um, so, no, I mean, occasionally, yeah, if a great rugby league player passes away, I sometimes think, well, you know, but didn't have, didn't have to speak to Is there any Wigan player who's still alive? Who isn't included in the book? Who you'd really quite like to get? If you'd uh, another yeah, one? I, I couldn't get Andy Farrell for love nor money. I couldn't mean, you? I tried. I, I, I'd been. I tried to get him about three years ago for a rugby league heroes interview in League Express, and just the Irish rugby union just weren't helpful. I mean, two years in a row they said come back at the end of the Six Nations, and I said, second, I said, well, you said that last year, you know. And then a couple of Far- Farrell's ex-teammates at Wigan tried on my behalf, but. I mean, look, he's, 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 he's just about to go into a World Cup coaching the favourites. I've got no problem. It's, if I wanted to write this same book on, say, Liverpool, who I support, I wouldn't get anywhere, would I? I'd, no. I'd, I'd have to pay a fortune. I didn't, none of these have been paid for, by the way. They're, they're all people who are happy to give up their time for, for, for nothing. If, if I wanted to write the same book on Liverpool, it would be a non-starter unless I had an mm. absolute fortune to play with. So I'm very, very grateful for the 50 that I've got. I mean, um, tried to get John Ferguson... Um, I, I did eventually get through to him on the phone, but he's never done a media interview in his life. But I, I, I hoped, but I didn't. I wasn't successful. Um, Brian Carney said no. He was incredibly friendly, and he set me up with Terry O'Connor. But he just sort of, he very, very modestly said that he didn't think he was a Wigan legend, which I, I don't agree with, of course. No, no. Um, no. But yeah, and, and I've tried to get others for, for, for League Express interviews who maybe then I would have used in this, like Steve Renoff, and uh, I think yeah, so. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't, didn't get everyone, but yeah. I think the fifty that I put out there, I, I, I'll defend. I'll, I'll, I'll happily argue that they're fifty great ones. Yeah, yeah. Right. but that's the other thing. It, it's not just the quality of the player; it's the quality of the interview. Mm. Um, and you want someone. If someone doesn't want to do it, then that implies that if they get talked into it, that they might just not open up that much. Mm. But Green Vigo didn't want to, did he? At yeah, first. exactly. But, but his is brilliant. But, but when he came back to me, he just said, "You can ask me anything, and I'll answer it." I would. Wow. I, I would. I mean, Green Vigo's. Interview is worth the money alone, in my in my view. Oh, it was a stunning interview, mm. wasn't it? So, you know, he, I, he told me because because he, he vanished from the scene and he was drinking heavily and wasn't mm. looking after himself. The South African newspapers reported that he died. Mm. Yeah. It was incredible, and then he said he'd been sober now for twenty five years. And lovely story. He would have, if it hadn't been for yeah. apartheid, he would have been the first black player to play rugby union for South Africa, and he would have been a great player, yeah. Yeah. great rugby union player. Yeah. And as it turned out, he came over here and, you know, was... I remember watching him uh, in when he first came, and I remember him signing with John Gray. And in those days, they played something called the Wills Sevens tournament at the start of the mm. season. And it was the first time that Green Vigo, Vigo had stepped onto a rugby league pitch and he scored a bucket full of tries. And the Wigan fans reacted to him as the new Billy Boston, mm. you know, which he looked mm. like at the time. You know, it, yeah. it, it was... Um, and, and of course, that was a hard, a hard label to live up to. But you know, he did. He was a great player. We see it in all in sports. I mean, how many next yeah. George Best did Man United have? How many well, next yes. Peter Sterling's of Parramatta had? But yeah, and we're going to have had a great, incredible history of great black wingers. But he, he he was the one who just played in a, in an era where they where they weren't successful and he mm. didn't really win much. And no, I do, well, he, he he's another example of that question that you asked. I mean, he wasn't treated particularly well by the club. I don't think he was paid particularly well. And. Um, not, not you know, not not looked after in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what a story he's got. Yeah. Now, uh, two part question here: Who is your favourite Wigan player of all time, and who is your favourite interview out of all the players you interviewed? Well, I'm not actually a Wigan fan, so my my fa- my favourite interview 
Oh, it's too difficult, that. Maybe with top three. Um, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that I, I, yeah, I, I, the, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Vigo, Leiden, and ooh, Kiss, Kiss or Skerritt, one of those two, I think. I really don't want to offend anyone who, you know, but they're, they're, they're three. I mean, Dennis Betts was a great interview, but no, I, th- I think, I think, you know, those, yeah, Kiss, Kiss maybe third. Favourite Wigan player of all time. I mean, through the glory years, I'd probably... I was going to say Sean Edwards. I might, I might go for Gary Connolly. He was incredibly underrated. I've, I've got Paul Newlove interviewed in this week's League Express. Connolly and Newlove were unbelievable. They were perfect centres. They were both just perfect centres. And I think the game doesn't produce players like those two anymore. Mm. They, they, they were just phenomenal. And I, I, think, I actually think they were basically not far off Hall of, Lame, Hall of Fame level, um, but just don't really sort of get their apps. Because they weren't halfbacks or, or they weren't finishers like like Martin Afai, but Gary Connolly is probably the most underrated rugby league player. Hmm. Just a sensational defensive player, but brilliant going forward as well. Incredibly strong. He, I, I used to love watching him play. Yeah, great. Um, is there any other players you'd like to touch on before we sort of wrap it up here today? I I really enjoyed the interview with um, Phil and Declan Roberts from the wheelchair team because I'm a very recent convert. I, I've been to the, the first game I ever went to is the World Cup final. I mean that's just jumping on a bandwagon, really, isn't it? You know, so I, I went to that and then I thought, well, I want to push this a bit further. So I, I went to their house in Oral and just asked them a whole bunch of questions about wheelchair rugby league, and they were they were great. To, to, so they they actually both won the wheelchair World Cup, Declan last year and Phil in 2008. So a father and son who both won the World Cup. I found so I, yeah, yeah I, I found that really interesting. Um, the guys from the sixties, Colin Clark, very funny interview, but also very very, very serious in, in in places. He he was great to talk to. Ray Ashby, likewise, talking endlessly about the sixty five Cup final when he was joint man of the match. Um, I can honestly say I enjoyed them all, and I hope that comes through in the book. Yeah, perfect. And uh, just a reminder, if you are interested in uh, purchasing, purchasing this book, you can head online to the uh, Total RL website, www.totalrl.com forward slash shop, uh, or you can call 01484 to secure your copy. When can everyone come and see you um, for that signing at Wigan? Yes, that's Friday the 1st of September uh, when before we can play Salford. Perfect. So head along there, guys. I'm sure Richard will welcome any Wigan fans that want to come and have a chat. Uh, any last word from you, Martin? No, I, I'm, I'm delighted that we're publishing the book, uh, Jake, and uh, I hope it goes really well. I'm sure it will do, and uh, I think Wigan fans will really enjoy reading it. It's, it's going to be a great book for them, um, buying it as a present. If you've got a, a partner who's a Wigan fan, you know, you'll do them a great favour by buying this book and uh, giving them some nights of great pleasure reading it, I think. Last thing I want to say, actually, is how good is the front cover? And that's, I, I'm not a designer. I'm, I'm, I don't have any artistic ability whatsoever, but it was knocked together by Stephen Ibbotson, who works for League Express. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I love, yeah, love what he's done with the cover. I said to him, look, can you try and get all the players on the cover? And I couldn't quite imagine how he'd do it, but it's just brilliant, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, fantastic. Stunning piece of artwork. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thanks for that compliment yeah. for Stephen and yeah. Richard. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Richard. Um, can't wait to, to see it published and hopefully in everyone's bookshelves. So, yeah, look forward to also having you on yeah. uh, in the future. No problem. Forward, no so, problem, yeah. Yeah, perfect. All right. Thanks, guys.